Maria Sabina. She's famous uh, shaman down in Mexico. And so the, the guy who first uh, created LSD by accident uh, was Albert Hoffman. And there was this, this Life magazine article, I think it's from 1957, where Hoffman and a couple other scientists went to visit Maria Sabina in her, her small village in Oaxaca, where she is administering psychedelic mushrooms to, to the locals there. And the Life magazine article kind of like really blew out this, uh, that, that she was doing this down there and, and created a lot of attention uh, for psychedelics. Have you ever wondered about this whole world of mushrooms? People taking mushrooms for health benefits like a stronger immune system, a sharper brain, let alone this whole world of the psychedelic mushrooms and people using these for healing journeys or even for recreational experiences. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love today's episode because we are bringing on guest expert Robert Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of MicroBoost a man who has dedicated his life to spreading very high quality mushroom supplements and a lot of great education. And in today's episode, we get into the world of functional mushrooms, why you might consider taking things like lion's mane, chaga, reishi, turkey tail, and the benefits that they do have. And we also talk about psychedelic mushrooms, some of Robert's experiences, as well as the legal landscape of these things and where he thinks uh, things are going. And I will say this, MicroBoost has some of the best mushroom products, like super high quality. And that's what really sets Robert apart in the space is that as he talks about in the end of this episode, there's a lot of fillers and crap that people throw in these products and they have a commitment to excellence when it comes to their MicroBoost products. And he's been kind enough to give our listeners a discount on his website. So you can go to MicroBoost, M-Y-C-R-O-Boost.com. That's M-Y-C-R-O-Boost.com. And you can use the promo code FITFAMILY to get 15% off at trying any of these uh, supplements. And I'll say this, like I have used functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps for a while because they give me an edge and a lot of mental clarity and the cognitive benefits. So if you're looking to foray into this world and experience of trying mushrooms, that would really be a really great benefit. And of course, I think you're going to find the conversation on the psychedelic aspect of this very fascinating as well. So get into today's episode. I think you're going to enjoy this with Robert Johnson of MicroBoost. I'll see you there. Today, we're joined by our guest expert, Robert Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of MicroBoost, a company that specializes in making very high quality functional mushroom supplements. So you've probably heard some of the buzz and maybe even seen it in your local grocery stores or health food stores. There are many companies right now that are pushing mushroom-based products like Lion's Mane, Chaga, Rishi. And it turns out for good reason, because many of these products have phenomenal health benefits dating back thousands of years. And now we're really tapping into this as a, as a big venture. And this is where Robert enters the scene. He has a wide breadth of experience in all sorts of different plant medicines, certainly functional mushrooms, but also through his experience in the cannabis industry. Um, and he basically is the guy that knows a lot about these medicines, how they interact with our health, how they help our mindsets when used properly. And today we're going to get into a deep discussion on functional mushrooms. We're also going to touch on psychedelic mushrooms. We're going to talk about what to look for in great supplements and of course, some of Robert's own journey. So Robert, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot for that intro. Excited to be here, talk with you about mushrooms and everything else. 
Cool. So let's just get straight into it. I think this this term functional mushroom seems a little bit like a, a buzzword, but what does it exactly mean? And like, what does it mean to be a functional mushroom? What are some examples? And let's just kind of like unpack it at a high level. Yeah, it's great to start with uh, with the definition and the vocabulary. So there's a different, uh, a couple of different things that functional mushrooms are called. So first off, you have your your edible mushrooms that you buy in the grocery store, the portobellas, the criminis, the the pizza toppings, uh, and then you have the the psychedelic mushrooms, uh, as you mentioned. And then what, functional mushrooms are also known as medicinal mushrooms or adaptogenic mushrooms. Uh, some of them taste good, uh, like lion's mane, you know, can be used as a, as an edible mushroom, but mostly they're consumed for their medical benefits and, and have been for, for thousands of years, you know, uh, Chinese medicine incorporates a ton of mushrooms still to this day. And I think, you know, with, uh, where we are in our, in our world right now, uh, people are looking for more and more natural alternatives for, for medicine. That's where mushrooms come yeah. in. For sure. And what are some of the main functional mushrooms that you think are like the heavy hitters or the the, the main ones that people might see or, or look for for the categories of benefits that people might want? Yeah, definitely. When when I start to have a conversation with someone about functional mushrooms, if they've heard of any of them, usually the most popular one is lion's mane. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it has a really cool name. Uh, and uh <laughs> And it, it actually looks kind of like a, a lion's mane or a cheerleader's pom-pom. It's a unique uh, looking fungus. But the benefits are really what has got so much attention in the supplement world. It's, uh, it's, it prevents neurodegenerative diseases in the brain, specifically Alzheimer's and dementia. And the reason for that is because of its cognitive enhancing properties. So, you know, baby boomers as well as Gen Xers, millennials are all looking for, you know, to, to be on their game, to be sharp, focused. And, and so I think that, you know, across generations, people are looking for just different ways to improve their their attention span and their, their focus and their drive, you know, without caffeine that can have uh, you know, negative side effects or, or pharmaceuticals, uh, Adderall, et cetera. So I see a lot of people replacing those sort of things or supplementing uh those substances particularly with uh with functional mushrooms like lion's mane they do a couple of things like some some more vocab uh for your listeners uh one is called neurogenesis which is like the formation of new brain cells and then also neuroplasticity which is making new neural connections in the brain mm -hmm. uh and this is just uh this is really good for any sort of, uh, of cognitive function. And so I think that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people have had family members that have suffered from these neurodegenerative diseases. It's always a, a sad way to watch a loved one go. And, you know, we, we want to prevent that for ourselves and, and for more of our loved ones. For sure. And I, I think there's a couple things that are really poetic about the mushroom and how they help with the brain connectivity, because like, literally the mushroom is this organism, this whole kingdom of, of, of beings that is not plants and not animals. And it forms this network and it branches out and makes connections in its own right. And it just seems poetic to me that it also helps our literal neurons, at least lion's mane itself, 
make these powerful connections. I think that's very beautiful. So lion's mane is one for cognitive health. And, and I can maybe speak to my own experience having used it quite a bit. It's not something that gives you like the stimulant buzzing feel like you take coffee and you feel it. It's more of like a building over time of helping you be clear and sharp. Like you might find a little bit of a lift, but it's not a stimulant. It's more just like helping you function better, right? That's a, that's a great qualifier for sure. It's not like a, take a pill and, you know, 30 minute immediate reaction, but it is building it up in your system and, uh, and, you know, working on your brain, working, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's mushroom magic through there over time. So that's a, that's a great way, you know, uh, with any supplements, I think, you know, expectations are, are really important, you know, and, uh, and sometimes people market stuff. I know I was in CBD for years and, you know, people would market it like you're going to jump out of your wheelchair and start doing, uh, you know, gymnastics down the hallway. And, and you know, if it helps with your arthritis, uh, you know, uh, and you're set up with the proper expectations, then maybe be happy about that rather than you know, trying to do a, a back handspring. Okay. Other mushrooms. I'll, I'll do a couple that I, I, I like, and you can speak in any of these. I hear a lot about cordyceps. I hear a lot about reishi. I hear a lot about chaga. And I hear a lot about turkey tail. So in any order, I'd love for you to kind of comment on some of these and in, in any, I'm sure I missed some really heavy hitters too, but please go through these. Maybe start with cordyceps. Yeah. Cordyceps. One of my, one of my favorite anecdotes from like the research that I've done with cordyceps is in the nineties, there was the Chinese women's track team competed in the Olympics and they broke so many records and won so many medals that the, uh, the Olympic judges, you know, had them drug tested. And they passed all their drug tests and their coach uh, credited cordyceps mushrooms for their increase in time. And so cordyceps is a natural energy booster. And it's also great for your lungs. It's a respiratory enhancer. So I can see how, how a track runner would benefit from you know, having more energy and more, uh, I think it's called VO2 uh, capacity yes. in their lungs. So, you know, cordyceps uh, had... Uh, a little bit of time in the spotlight this year. There was like a fictional version of Cordyceps that was the subject of the HBO series, The Last of Us. You know, this mm-hmm. uh, this Cordyceps mushroom, like you know, turned people into zombies. There's like over 400 different types of Cordyceps, and uh, Cordyceps militaris, by the way, is what we use yes. in uh, in lion's mane. But the interesting thing about that mushrooms are endlessly fascinating to me is that that fictional strain that's in that show and the video game it was based on is actually comes from a strain of cordyceps that uh, that works similarly on ants. And so there's a particular type of cordyceps that like infects the brain of an ant and can work its way and kind of control the ant's body like a remote control car, lead them back to the ant colony and then, you know, fruit the uh, the mushroom actually out of the head of the of the ant and you know can take over uh, an ant colony so that's yeah, just really cool what like you say these really unique not plants not animals have the abilities to do that is as like that is i hope people got that like literally the mushroom gets into an ant infects its brain tells it to go to the hive sprouts out of its head shoots off its spores and like that's its legitimate life cycle like that is crazy yeah yeah it's stranger than fiction and made for a pretty entertaining <laughs> show but uh but yeah but yeah it definitely uh, i think it you know also kind of fueled uh something that is that is prevalent as a mycophobia 
you know, some people are uh, afraid to, to eat mushrooms or, or try mushrooms. So that's, you know, I, I, I like the attention that it gives to, to cordyceps, even a fictional version of it. Uh, but I'm hoping that it's not contributing to, to people's fear of mushrooms. I've taken a lot of cordyceps. I don't have a sprout yet. And we know that those don't affect uh, humans in the same way, which is which is good, I would say. Okay, so we also have, talk to me about like reishi. Uh, I see this a lot in these products that people say like chill out or calm with reishi. Like is there is there a calming effect of that? I and mean, what's the benefit of that particular mushroom? Yeah, we, we formulate reishi for like sleep aids. It is, uh, there are studies that show that it can, can decrease anxiety and uh, yes, calm the the nervous system uh, the chinese call rishi the mushroom of immortality uh, it's actually a, a really beautiful um, uh, fungus as well so yeah the the rishi mushroom I, I think up there are so far we've gone through uh my top three uh mm-hmm. and and that one is is endlessly fascinating too you know one of the one of the things about making uh, supplements like uh, like mushrooms these alternative products is that making health claims about them is really a fine line you know and so uh, and and while there are tons of studies out there about the benefits of mushrooms you know I really just encourage people to try them for themselves and and with the benefits that are published out there and you know the the ability for cognitive enhancement or or more calm or, or better sleep, you know, I think it's just uh, uh, a really affordable way to, uh, you know, invest in something that if it can really help with those things for you, then, uh, you know, you've really struck gold. Nice. Totally agree. One final mushroom I'd, I want to ask and talk about before we go into the different aspects of this conversation is turkey tail. And what I think is interesting about that is that a mushroom that kind of penetrated the conventional medical scene due to its uh, effects in cancer and, and helping with the immune system during cancer and people going through that. Can you speak into turkey tail, maybe some of that research or some of the takeaways from what we're seeing in a more cancer clinical perspective from that? Yeah. Yeah. I really got interested in turkey tail watching the Netflix documentary, Fantastic Fungi. Uh, that's a that's a great one. Still on there now. I encourage anyone who hasn't seen that to check it out. But the main mycologist that that, that documentary is centered on is Paul Stamets. And he had, you know, he's been working with mushrooms for decades, but he had a really personal experience where his mother was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, you know, given less than a year to live. And, you know, he had been studying turkey tail and its anti-cancer properties for a long time. And he really, you know, put that to the test, uh, you know, where conventional medicine, you know, doctors have told him that that couldn't save his mom. He gave her super high doses of turkey tail over the course of, you know, nine, 12 months. And she ended up living many, many years after that. And that's really what opened my eyes to it. And I started to find uh, a lot of research um, that, that suggests that she's not a, uh, uh, a one-off or, or, or something unique. I, even people in my family, when I started making uh, functional mushroom products, I learned that that uh, one of my cousin's wives you know, has been taking turkey tail for years now. And it's like the only thing that helps with her uh, particular ailments. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm always learning more. And, you know, even with the mind-blowing stuff that I learned, like there was an article in The Guardian this past year about scientists showing that mushrooms have the ability to communicate, right, through the, the mycelium network. 
but some of the, like the wave patterns that they were measuring, they identified as words. And, you know, so basically like <laughs> scientists, the article was, the headline was scientists have discovered that mushrooms can, can speak at least 50 different types of words. Uh, so, uh, what they're, what they're doing inside of our brain, you know, I think there's still fortunately going to be a lot more studies around it now, now that, uh, you know, there's a lot of funding going into, into mushroom research and, uh, and more interest, you know, the more consumer demand, I think the more there's going to be, you know, proven test results and, and, uh, clinical trials and, and, you know, just a continued growth in interest use and our understanding of really what they're doing. Nice. I, I think this is a perfect segue out of those kind of hero mushrooms into a little bit of mushroom history. And I want to kind of guide us into the, the psychedelic realm of the mushrooms as well, because I, I see, at least in the psychedelic side, this is an area where we have a lot of mental health issues in our current society. And these are now being used effectively in many cases to help people heal trauma, understand themselves better, and they create a pretty profound shift in your experience of consciousness when you take a psychedelic mushroom. Um, let's go to the historical perspective first. You know, there's this idea that humans deep in, you know, the plains of Africa would discover these mushrooms on cow patties and stuff like this and started to experiment with them. And, and, and that helped our, our minds and our brains expand and that, you know, we had mushrooms a long, long time back. And what's kind of the history, at least you'd like to explain it of the psychedelic side of mushrooms. And then let's bring it to modern day in terms of how we see these things being used. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in general, there's, there's two kinds of history. There's, uh, you know, what has been going on forever. And then there's when white people figure out about it. Right. And so, you know, the, the Chinese have been using the, the adaptogenic mushrooms, you know, one of the, uh, the oldest living human specimens that was ever found was, uh, this guy called Otzi, the Iceman. And it's found in a, in a glacier, 5,000, it was like 5,000 year old, uh, corpse. And because of, you know, where he died in, in the ice, his body, a lot of uh, his body and the things that he were carrying were preserved. And he had a little satchel that contained uh, adaptogenic mushrooms. And the scientists, the anthropologists uh, presumed that they were using them either for uh, religious ceremonies and or um, some sort of like antibiotic. But, you know, uh, psychedelic mushrooms have been used in uh, shamanic and religious ceremonies for millennia. Uh, South America, you know, they use uh, ayahuasca, which comes from a, a vine native to the area. And then um, I think the, the second part of the, the history of, you know, the introduction to uh, the white population was uh, Maria Sabina. She's famous uh, shaman down in Mexico. And so the, the guy who first uh, created LSD by accident uh, was Albert Hoffman. And there was this this Life magazine article, I think it's from 1957, where Hoffman and a couple other scientists went to visit Maria Sabina in her, her small village in Oaxaca, where she is administering psychedelic mushrooms to, to the locals there. And the Life magazine article kind of like really blew out this, uh, that, that she was doing this down there and, and created a lot of attention uh, for psychedelics. So in the 50s and 60s, before they were criminalized, there were thousands of articles 
written about psychedelics, particularly um, connected to uh, therapy, you know, psychological, psychiatric therapy. And then there were also hundreds of conferences that were going on at the time. So tons of minds, research, uh, investment dollars were being put into to understanding, you know, what these could do for us. Um, unfortunately, some of that that tech and research got, got co-opted by the CIA and, you know, we're using LSD on on soldiers and in Vietnam and and then ultimately uh, Nixon uh, criminalized uh, all of these these psychedelics in the the early seventies. You know he, he called them one of the the biggest threats to uh, to the the U.S. at the time. But I think was, you know obviously so much of that was about the anti-war, anti-government, anti-capitalism that was part of the the hippie movement. You know which which really popularized these these psychedelics. So, you know, for me personally, I always uh, uh, am interested in finding better ways to, to connect with people. And I grew up, you know, really fascinated uh, by writing. You know, I, I, I write now, I write for, for Rolling Stone about, about mushrooms, both psychedelic and, and functional. Uh, but some of the writers that really inspired me at an early age were from the beatnik generation. Uh, Jack Kerouac, William William Ginsburg, or William Burroughs, Allen Ginsburg, and you know they had just like the, this counterculture idea that that in large part sparked the the whole hippie movement. Um, and so you know, it, drugs I think was just a tool for them, and psychedelics or cannabis, you know, to for for Kerouac to uh, experience and really understand jazz, and you know then translated that that jazz music into his own writing style, which I really appreciated. Uh, but, but, you know, he also grew up Catholic, which I did as well. And, you know, he started to have a lot of interest in, in Eastern philosophy and religion, particularly like Zen Buddhism. And so I found that uh, really fascinating as well. And so I think that, you know, the, the, for me, it's not the, uh, the recreation uh, as much, although it can be uh, a lot of fun, but, but the, ability to connect deeper, you know, really consider, you know, the philosophical questions that we all, we all ponder about, about life and existence and, you know, the meaning of everything. And so with, with any sort of supplements, you know, uh, the, the, the marketer will tell you, uh, you know, this pill can, can solve all your problems. Uh, I don't, I think, and there's uh, something called the, uh, the Polan effect going on right now with psychedelic mushrooms and, it was named after Michael Polan, who wrote this book, How to Change Your Mind. Uh, it's also a great book. It's a you know, baby boomer guy who approached psychedelics from a complete skeptic's point of view. And by the end of the book, you know, his, his perspective had completely changed. He pretty much tries every psychedelic there is known to man. And, uh, you know, and documents a ton of, of not only his own experiences, but the people he met along the way. So I, while I think, you know, his book is... With the best intentions and and also really uh, um, well covered, you know, I don't think it's it's you know arguing for uh, you know everybody to go out and take psychedelics. But I think you know with us reading more headlines than the entire um, document or book, you know, it's got the Polan effect has been coined because you know sometimes now because of the popularity, people think, oh yeah, microdosing, you got depression forget about it. You know, you got anxiety. This is, this is the cure. 
Well, while I think that it is ex- like the most powerful tool uh, for fast change, right? You know, if we all put our minds to it and, uh, you know, have the right support, the right, uh, the right environment, you know, change is possible is my, my belief anyways. But I think that, that psychedelic mushrooms just allow people to just have a little bit more awareness. And I think the more awareness that we have, that's really how we can start to change. You know, we can't, we can't break a, a habit, a habit or a pattern without truly, you know, identifying it in ourselves first. Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you so much for listening to this Fit Mother Project podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become, all the powerful stories, all the great expert interviews, and I am so grateful for you for tuning in and being here with everything we're creating here at the Fit Mother Project. I just wanted to pause to acknowledge you and thank you again for listening. Please keep listening and tuning in to all the great stuff we're doing here at the FMP. Let's get back to today's episode. For those interested, the types of psychedelic mushrooms that I know are very popular is psilocybe cubensis, which is like the one that people take in, I don't know how to describe what it looks like, but it kind of looks like a long skinny mushroom with a cap and it has some blue stuff on it. That is the, I think the psilocybin that gets converted to psilocin and then we get the hallucinogenic effects. What I think is really interesting and kind of funny is the other one is the the red mushroom with the white caps that no one really takes it, but the Amarita muscaria, like the super Mario mushroom, the one we've kind of had in all of our cultural memes for the longest time happens to be a psychedelic mushroom that grows in cold climates like Siberia and in reindeer actually eat these recreationally, uh, which I think is fascinating. Uh, and people actually drink the reindeer pee because it gets them high. So at, like, not that there's a point of sharing that other than it's like, this stuff is crazy. Well, that's a fun factoid. Reindeer pee actually. I hadn't <laughs> heard that one. That's, I gotta yeah. take some notes. Amarita muscaria, reindeer pee, some of the, some of the <laughs> cultures up there, like would follow the reindeer around. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, so the, the folklore is that, uh, you know, maybe even the whole Santa Claus came from, uh, I've heard that too. from these, the folklore from that area. And that's, you know, how we see flying reindeer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Amanita muscaria is a, is an interesting one. Uh, it does contain naturally uh, a, a poisonous uh, element to it known as ibotenic acid. There's three like main components to it. The muscimol and muscarine are what uh, have the, the psychoactive effects. Uh, but the ibotenic acid uh, can be poisonous when taken in too much dosage. So the real way to, to prepare uh, amanita is to, to heat it to convert that ibotenic acid into muscimol. So that's just one thing, you know, that I would, would, uh, warn, but, uh, but yeah, the history behind it is really fascinating. Uh, you know, there, there's some documentation that Vikings would eat a bunch of Amanita muscaria before, you know, going and taking over a village and, and pillaging and, and so on. Um, and in the, in, in my, industry you know there's kind of a, a couple of different channels for for mushrooms and you know the the health stores carry the the lion's mane the cordyceps the the reishi products but smoke shops have been looking for an alternative uh, mushroom product as well but they're always looking for something that has some sort of you know immediate usually intoxicating effects and so they've, they've just in the past year have really gravitated towards these amanita muscaria products 
I, I get a little nervous about it. One, because of the ibotenic acid and making, not, not knowing if they were prepared properly. And, uh, and two, just because I, I think a lot of people rush into making products, you know, for the, uh, for the dollars or the, the profit that it can come from it. And, uh, you know, just as a, as a formulator myself and, and going to conferences and stuff and just some asking some basic questions, I just wouldn't take, uh, 99% of the Amanita products out there personally. And that's, that's a great, I think reminder for everyone is these mushrooms are no joke. Quality matters. They can have poisonous components. Um, and let alone, like if you were to venture into the realm of trying psychedelics, they can have very serious effects that like, it'd be helpful to do that under guidance and professional supervision. Not necessarily you have to have professional supervision. I have, you know, caveat, I've tried them before, certainly no professional supervision. I've, I've, they've, they've helped me psychologically in, in many ways, but I am interested in seeing this whole new world where we're having a lot of people with PTSD issues, clinics popping up where people are doing assisted psychotherapy with, with psychedelics. Like what's happening in the legal front right now, at least in the United States with in relation to that side of things. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've written about this a lot and it's, it's fascinating to watch, you know, cannabis legalization didn't have the same uh, interest as uh, the pharma from the pharmaceutical companies. You know, there's a, a synthetic version of cannabis or THC called Marinol, you know, it's been on the, on the market for since the seventies or so, but it just really doesn't compare to cannabis. However, uh, these psychological or these uh, psychoactive uh, psychedelic compounds found in in mushrooms, like you say, psilocybin, psilocin, uh, they're publicly traded companies right now are working on making synthesized versions of these that are uh, slightly different uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you can't patent nature, so if you you know synthesize psilocybin, uh, you know you you can do it, but you can't own it. So. They're looking to to change it just a little bit, and I think you know one way that the pharmaceuticals are are maybe going to be more accepted by the government and the research is is interesting, and I, I don't know if it's possible, but what they're trying to do is find the brain enhancing properties in psilocybin, psilocin, and remove the psychedelic part of it. Uh, so mm. you know, for for people excited about the the recreational part of it that would kind of be taken away. Uh, but uh, legally, you know, to address your question more specifically, there's two states so far in the United States that have legalized mushrooms for um, medical or psychedelic assisted therapy, and that's Colorado and Oregon. And I just read an article yesterday about there's three, four month waiting list in Oregon for these, these therapies, uh, which is great for these, these companies. Uh, but uh, the, a very small percentage of them are from people from Oregon. So people are seeking out these treatments from all over uh, different parts of the world, different parts of the country. You know, the, uh, the cost associated with it uh, seems pretty high. And I think, you know, one key element to, you know, the full on uh, incorporation of this, especially from the pharmaceutical point of view, is whether insurance would cover um, sessions like this. And so, yeah, for anywhere from three to four thousand dollars, you know, you have like a five, six hour guided session uh, with a with a trained professional. 
the the trained professional aspect is also another you know caveat and uh, and one for debate, right? So you, we talked about the uh, the ancient uh, shamanic religious ceremonies that that this has been used in, and you know still to this day there are people you know who who learned either they're they're part of their lineage or you know, people go to Peru stutter study under these shamans and generations of shamans that have been administering this you know extremely powerful medicine to people and now uh, there there's you know groups like maps uh new wave that their their business is training uh you know psychedelic therapists and they predict that you know as this becomes more and more prevalent and popular there's going to be a demand for you know hundreds of thousands of of psychedelic therapists by the end of the decade but the the process for you know getting the the license uh, you know, it's usually anywhere from like a six week to a six month course, you know, 10, 15, $25,000, whatever it is. And so there's a, a little debate, you know, mostly between the, the people who have been practicing this for a long time. Um, you know, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of therapists and, you know, people with, with their own experience that will get these licenses that have, you know, years, decades of, of psychotherapy. And I think that they would be the most qualified but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm nervous about the person who's, you know, leaving real estate, you know, and they, uh, they're, they're just looking for a new career and a new, new uh, license to have. So, yeah, everything is, is not without, you know, complications and, and layers, especially when you're, when you're lifting the veil on this, this pre- previously criminalized drug. Um, but, uh, but beyond that, you know, there's a lot of cities and that have decriminalized. And so that has, uh, has opened the door. You know, it's kind of a, the same path that cannabis followed, right? You had it illegal for years. Uh, it was first decriminalized for medical use in California in 96. Uh, then, you know, we had, we had the, the medical dispensaries and then ultimately adult use, you know, full on recreational use it, uh, responsibly, like, alcohol, tobacco. And, you know, that's the direction we're, we're moving with regulation. I assume that this will be the same direction with mushrooms, you know, and as much as, as people feel like, you know, big pharma or big government, you know, really controls the, the way that, that things go down. I think for the, in large part, the consumer really is who decides how things happen. And now that we're having a more of an open conversation about this, uh, you know, in this country and in the world, you know, when someone tries a $4,000 uh, therapy session and they find some benefit from it, you know, they might want to continue microdosing. And if, if there was no copay on insurance and, and these things are prohibitively expensive, you know, then it only allows like, you know, the top 1% of earners to, to benefit from this. And we could all use, uh, you know, some mental health improvements. And so I'm just always about like safe access and, and uh, access to everybody that wants to try it. And there's a lot of different ways that, that these people are offering it. That's great rundown. Um, and just, I mean, they are very accessible, like explain how accessible they are. And this is like the big caveat, by no means suggesting anyone should do this, like even take them or try them. But like, it's very simple for people to grow these things. I mean, they're really like mushrooms on dung or cardboard or like, you know, explain that to people for context so they understand. 
Yeah, you're right. And and actually, legally, you can buy uh, mushroom spores or liquid culture online because they don't yet contain psilocybin until you inoculate a grow substrate, usually oats, grain, uh, soil, medium. Uh, and it's only when the mushroom and the mycelium start to form and then later the mushroom that these these contain psilocybin. And, you know, unlike cannabis, where you need to really uh, keep temperatures cool and have, you know, uh, electricity running on lights. You know, as long as you're keeping your temperatures uh, below, I think, 74, 75 degrees, it is really pretty foolproof to grow mushrooms. You just have to have a, a sterile environment. And so, yeah, for, for $45, $50, you can buy the materials online to, to grow it yourself and, uh, you know, have an ounce or so of mushrooms. And then also beyond that, you teach yourself how to make a spore print. Like you can just with one mushroom, make a spore print and continue to make liquid culture from that forever, as long as you store it correctly. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a main uh, interest for people is because they are so easy to grow and, and scalable that so many people are, are jumping into it. Okay, I have one last question on the psychedelic side, then I want to get back to talking about MicroBoost and some of the things that differentiate a very high-quality um, functional mushroom product. We hear the term microdosing thrown out a lot, and we mentioned it a couple times in this scenario. Like, What does that actually mean? Like, What does it look like to microdose? What are the purported benefits? And like, just dive into that a little bit, please. Yeah, so by definition, uh, a microdose is supposed to be sub-perceptual. Of a psychedelic mushroom, not just like I'm taking lion's mane microdose. I'm taking right. psychedelics microdose. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, if you, if you take enough uh, psilocybin psychedelic mushrooms, you know, you start to have uh, uh, just noticeable distortions or, uh, or even improved mood. But uh, a microdose, by definition, is supposed to be such a small amount that you're not noticing the uh, physical effects, but it's still working on your brain in the background. Now... Most people that uh, are are taking it don't really understand the you know, whole sub-perceptual thing. So I think just like uh, most people take a microdose right around the threshold of perception. So you'll have like an elevated mood, um, you know, maybe uh, a little more cognizance or awareness of, uh, of your thoughts and patterns. I know for me, uh, you know, it's, it's about, I think part of the awareness that mushrooms have brought me is really teaching myself that while I can uh, I can't control the actions of others, I can control my reactions uh, to uh, to you know what life or or other individuals throw at me, and so that has been you know a huge uh, improvement in my life that I you know don't feel controlled by you know someone frustrating or annoying or or uh, you know doing something un uncouth towards me. Right. You know, it's, and I'm, I'm not controlled by their actions and I'm no longer controlled by my like unconscious reactions to it. So that's, that's the big thing for me. That's beautiful. I mean, a lesson that I feel like we'll all struggle with until we figure out. And it sounds like mushrooms are a tool that's helped you profoundly in that. So let's talk about your company, MicroBoost. Uh, MYCRO boost for people who are interested in learning more. And we're going to have website and stuff in the show notes. Give us a little pitch about why your particular products and the way you do things is 
a superior way for people to explore the world of functional non-psychedelic mushrooms? Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, microboost, we, we spell it with a Y because that's how uh, you spell mycology. But, uh, you know, I think I kind of have a, a backwards approach uh, as a from a business perspective when it comes to supplement manufacturing. You know, I think um, uh, most businesses will work on, okay, this is, this is what we can sell the product for. This is as cheap as we can possibly make the product for. And then we'll figure out, you know, the marketing and, and uh, the budget for everything in between there. I kind of just first focus on making the highest quality product possible and then working backwards from there to try and figure out, you know, how we can, you know, scale it efficiently and, and make it profitable as well. We also, you know, we have, if we're going to keep giving these people, people, these products, you know, we need to, to stay in business, but, but that's uh, always the, the, the beginning of, of how I do something. And then I'll buy like the, you know, the top 10 best selling products from, from different mushroom companies and, you know, really try and understand what's out in the market. So, uh, quickly, I know this is another kind of caveat, but one of the, the biggest things to look for when you're buying a functional mushroom product, whether MicroBoost or anybody else, is whether they're made from fruiting bodies or uh, what is called myceliated oats. So when you grow mushrooms commercially, you inoculate a grow substrate, usually a starchy substrate like oats, rice, grains, and from there, the, the mycelium form uh, in the grain, and then the fruiting body is the, the stem and the cap, or what, what protrudes from the earth. Um, so mycelium is, is fascinating, and uh, you know the biggest living organism on earth, there's places in Oregon that have like two, three square mile mycelium uh, living organisms, and they contribute a tremendous amount to our ecology. Uh, but in specifically adaptogenic mushroom supplements, the beneficial compounds are found much more prevalently in the fruiting body. And so when we make a product, we not only use the fruiting body, but a concentrated extraction of that. Uh, so we can put a significant amount or a therapeutic amount of mushrooms into small form factors like a cup of coffee, a gummy, or a vegan soft gel. And, uh, and myceliated oats, like if you just think about the the volume of it, right? You know, you have this this eight pound block, and mycelium grows through it. You know, it might and make that eight pound block now eight point four pounds. And so, the what myceliated oats companies did was they'll harvest the fruiting body, use that for some other more high end product, and then pulverize the entire mycelial block, and then market that as the mushroom product. And so, you know, as you might imagine, there's a tremendous uh, difference between the, the beneficial compounds and a concentrated version of that stem and cap versus something that it contains 90, 95% filler. You know, there, and mycelium has beneficial compounds in it as well, but you're, you're basically paying for super high-end dirt when, uh, <laughs> when you pay top dollar for mushrooms. And and this is not not lost on on mushroom companies. There's there's now a petition to the FDA right now for truth and labeling with mushroom products. And their their ask is that if you're going to label your product mushrooms, have mushroom imagery on the packaging, that you should be using fruiting bodies. Right? We don't sell 
the roots of apple trees in a grocery store and try and convince people that that's apples or even worse, a bag full of dirt that that apple tree was grown in and, uh, you know, trying to pass that as a delicious Fuji. I mean, that's a big distinction. And I, and it sounds like the pressure is going to keep continuing to shape up. Like it's so interesting that we have this psychedelic landscape that's shaping up. We even have the functional food landscape that's shaping up. And it's an exciting time to be in the mushroom business, my friend, especially with how beneficial these are. And I'm, I'm excited that people now know about Micro Boost and um, MYCRO Boost. And you can check out those products. And they come in those great soft gels too, which is a nicer formulation than people just having regular encapsulated. So, I mean, you guys are definitely premium quality in the space. So I would say if people are going to give it a good shakeout to try functional mushrooms, it would be a good idea, particularly if you're going for like the cognitive aspect of these things, like, like a lion's mane, like you have that lion's mane cordyceps combo, which would be a really good starter product for people who want to feel like a boost. Is that one of the ones you might recommend for people? Yeah, absolutely. I start my day with the, that lion's mane cordyceps product. It's called our brain supplement and then a cup of micro boost coffee, uh, which actually tastes really good too. So that's, that's another key, key difference, right? Not only do we want to have uh, the, a great medical benefit to it, but I want it to, to taste great because if it tastes terrible, you're not going to replace your, your coffee habit with, uh, with mushrooms. I think, you know, unless you really, you know, like, uh, choking down, uh, stuff that tastes, tastes healthy, but, uh, but yeah, our coffee has 3000 milligrams of these functional mushrooms, all five of the ones that we work wow. with per cup. And it tastes more like, uh, like hot chocolate than, uh, than mushrooms or, or dirt. And is it, is your coffee beans in there as well? Like it is a coffee or it's, um... there is a, there is a small amount of coffee in there. So there's a uh, 55 milligrams of caffeine per serving, which is the equivalent of about a third of a cup of coffee or like a real cool. gray tea. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool option for people to, to incorporate that into a daily routine. I like that a lot. Awesome. All right. Well, Robert, this was cool. I, I appreciate the landscape that we got to traverse here. People have definitely learned a lot about mushrooms. Um, give people a couple like resources, not that they have your website and there's a lot of great blogs on there, but you mentioned a couple things in recap if people want to explore this more. You mentioned Fantastic Fungi was one. Michael Pollan's book, which what is what is that called it's again? Called how to, Ch- change, how to change Your Mind. Is there anything else you direct people if they want to kind of start to explore this uh, realm of mushrooms and educate themselves? Yeah, I've got uh, eight articles on uh, rollingstone.com about mushrooms. If you search Robert Johnson, psychedelics, Rolling Stone, you'll find all of those. Uh, And most recently, my ninth article, I have a a two-part series that's just about um, mushroom vocabulary. And there's a lot of in there about functionals that that we talked about now. And I'm going to have a white paper on the site pretty soon, too. That is just a guide to reading your functional mushroom label. Because again, you know, I know there's a lot of different options out there for people to choose from. If they like ours, I, I you know, encourage them to to try it and and uh, and use it all the time. But you know, there's a lot of other great products out there. I just want people to uh, to be able to know which ones are are best. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Robert. I appreciate it. I know our community is too. Yeah, enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. 
Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast.